Today is one of those transitional days in the life of the church, one of those transitional Sundays where we are about to do something new and different. This is the last Sunday after the Epiphany, and on Wednesday we will enter into the liturgical season of Lent. We, um, I think every year, always hear the story of Jesus' transfiguration, that's officially what this story is called, um, when we come to this Sunday. It is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, so conveniently, all three years of our lectionary, um, we have a different story. Some of the details are a little different in each, but uh, essentially the message is the same. We come to this place for a particular reason on this Sunday as we prepare to enter into a season of fasting, of prayer, of repentance, as we prepare to contemplate the mysteries of Christ's death and resurrection in Jerusalem, we, we do so today because Jesus himself is as a pivotal moment in his ministry. Up until this point in Jesus' ministry, it's mostly been in the north. It's mostly been teaching and healing. Um, it's mostly been about um, him proclaiming uh, a little bit about who he is and what he's up to to his disciples um, and some of the people in northern Galilee and around those areas. After the transfiguration, Jesus will set his face to Jerusalem, and he's different. This is a pivot point in his ministry, just as it's a pivot point for us in our liturgical season. Now, in the, the scenes that are leading up to this story, we've, we've heard about them a little bit um, during the past uh, several weeks. Uh, the disciples are, are getting to know Jesus through the miracles of healing, casting out demons, the teachings that he's doing the feeding of the multitudes, all of those things are stories that we hear during Epiphany. The light of God is Christ made manifest in the world. That's what this whole season of Epiphany has been about. Now, the disciples are beginning to understand who Jesus is, and uh, this story begins uh, a couple of days, a little while after Peter has made his great declaration that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God, the Messiah, they don't really understand what that means. You might remember that after Peter uh, tells Jesus, you're the Messiah. Um, Jesus says, yes, and I'm going to go die. And Peter's like, no, that's not supposed to happen. And they have a little fight. Um, and <laughs> Jesus uh, reminds him of his purpose. And we get a little bit of that in the story again today. Jesus is constantly reminding his followers that he has not come only to be recognized in his glory, but also in his humility and suffering. In fact, if you've got a Bible here, I would encourage you to open it. Right after this passage in Luke 9, um, when Jesus comes down the mountain, he heals somebody, um, and his face is set towards Jerusalem. Um, and uh, on the way down, he's telling them, his disciples, that he must suffer and die. And so that is a big part of this transitional point and, and Jesus' ministry from being a local healer and teacher to being the messianic savior of the whole world. Now, the whole scene of this transfiguration is just rife with allusions from the Old Testament. We heard this great reading about Moses and Mount Sinai and Moses' face shining, right? There's completely an echo of that in what we're, we're hearing 
uh, Jesus' experience on the Mountain of Transfiguration. I, we had this picture up a couple weeks ago, but you can see the Mount of Transfiguration um, there in the distance. This is a picture from Nazareth. This is the Mount of Precipice where they tried to throw him off. And that mountain in the far distance is actually the Mountain of the Transfiguration. So that you have some context of why that picture is there um, and uh, what it would be like. And if you can imagine um, climbing up that mountain, yeah, you might be a little tired when you get on top. Those disciples are always sleepy. They're, I don't know. I don't get it. Uh, maybe... Well, I do get it. I'm always sleepy too. But so they get up there, and uh, this time they don't fall asleep. Um, they're able to see what's happening. And so once they get to the top of the mountain, Moses and Elijah are both there talking with Jesus. You might remember that Elijah, the, the great prophet of the Hebrew Bible, like the most important one probably, who did uh, many of the similar miracles that Jesus did, um, raising people up who had died, healing those, feeding uh, uh, people with nothing, um, all of those kinds of things Elijah the prophet did. And Elijah encountered God, um, remember, not in the, uh, the earthquake or the big winds or anything. It was in the still small voice, but it was on top of a mountain in a cave. And so there's an allusion to God sort of appearing and speaking to Elijah in the same place. Now, what's important about Elijah, many people don't remember this, is that he never died. There's two people in the Bible who never die. Enoch, way back in Genesis, is taken up into heaven. That's Noah's great-great-grandfather. And Elijah um, gets carried up in the chariots, right? Chariots of fire. Some of us know that story. And uh, Moses, although he died, God self buries Moses. And so nobody knew where Moses was actually buried. And the tradition through the centuries was that those two figures would be available to come back at the end of days to announce uh, the, the coming of God's reign to announce the coming of the Messiah. And so it's not an accident at all that we find the two of them talking with Jesus on the mountain. And it's no accident that we don't, talk, we don't find them talking to him about his glorious shiny face or the miracles that he's performing, but about his departure, about his death uh, and suffering that he's about to take on the cross. So <clears throat> when Peter sees these three guys... Peter's very excited, and he says, hey, master, let, let me build a couple of tents real quick so we can all just kind of stay in this place. This is an awesome place to be. And Jesus reminds him that um, that's not the point. Um, the, the cloud, can you imagine just being on top of that mountain and then just a cloud coming down and surrounding you? I don't know if you've ever been inside of a cloud, but it's an intense experience. And then hearing that voice, this is my son, which is an echo to Jesus' own baptism, right, which we start uh, the season of Epiphany, uh, quickly right after with that, with that gospel reading as well. An echo to, this is my son, the beloved, um, listen to him, and that's what's happening again on the Mount of the Transfiguration. What does this have to do with us today? Well, I'm convinced that anytime you or I have a profound experience of God and become to be transformed in our faith, um, we have those mountaintop experiences. We feel like maybe we are with Jesus on the top of the mountain. And that is an awesome thing, but it comes with some challenges. The first challenge is to get up the mountain. And what I've found over the years is that typically people need some motivation to open themselves up to an experience of transformation. A lot of times that motivation finds itself in the difficult parts of our life. Perhaps it's a medical diagnosis, the death of a loved one, um, some difficult situation at work or in relationship. Whatever that might be, I do believe that God uses 
whatever those experiences might be in our lives, to encourage us, to motivate us, to be open to transformation in our life, motivating us to go up the mountain. Now, notice a couple things. Jesus doesn't go up the mountain by himself. He doesn't come down the mountain by himself. One of the great misreadings of these stories of the Mount of Transfiguration, and when it says Jesus was alone, well, he wasn't ever really alone. Moses and Elijah and the disciple, the three disciples were with him when he was transfigured. And Peter, James, and John came with Jesus down from the mountain. So this should remind us that whenever we're seeking transformation in our life, that we're not alone, that we are surrounded, literally, look, at, look around, you're surrounded by people who are here to support you in your efforts for transformation. And when you have that mountaintop experience, that experience of transformation, sometimes there's a fear that... Um, people might not receive your new self the way they received your old self. So here's my encouragement for you there. Um, it's true that when we become more like Jesus, that can be hard for some people. Um, some people might ask you, uh, you seem to be going to church a lot more. What's that about? Or they might ask you, why are you reading your Bible all the time? And the answer is, well, I've had this experience of, of transformation. I've had this incredible experience of closeness with God, and I'd love to share it with you. Um, it is something to be shared. But remember that you're not alone. It might feel a little isolating sometimes. I've had that experience of, um, I, I remember my mother, uh, God bless her. I wasn't going to say this, but I'm going to. Um, God, you kids sure do take your faith seriously. Yeah. Of course we do, Mom. You raised us in the church. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this is sort of like, you know, this is different. You guys are not, you're acting like, like you follow Jesus. Like, what's that about? So, anyway, there, there's a fear that that can be a little bit of an isolating experience. But look around. There's a bunch of people here who want to support and help you in those efforts of transformation and radical discipleship in your own life. I'm convinced that... A true and faithful Christian life involves many trips up and down the mountain. Can't stay up there. Uh, when we get and have that awesome experience of the nearness of God, we do want to stay there. Peter is desperate to stay there. Um, sometimes for us, when we have that experience, we want to sort of close ourselves off because we, we, we don't want it to get away, right? Um, but that's never the point. The point is you've got to come down the mountain and share the gifts that you've experienced um, in that nearness with God. And that's what Jesus does. He is radically transfigured. He looks completely different before the disciples, but he doesn't stay there. He comes down the mountain and almost immediately heals a sick child. We're about to enter into this season of Lent on Wednesday, and um, I hope and pray that you will take on some sort of opportunities so that you too can experience transformation, whether that be going on a retreat, a renewal weekend, or uh, joining a Bible study, whether that be joining us uh, regularly for worship, whether it be engaging in our Lenten meditations, whatever your practice during Lent might be of giving something up or taking something on, I hope that you'll do so with the hope and expectation and opening of your heart so that you too might experience the transformation and the power of becoming more like Christ in your own life. And remember, you're not alone in it. I mean, you don't need to be afraid of anything. And those gifts that you receive are gifts that you should be able to share with us and with the world. Up and down the mountain. Up and down the mountain. 
May you have those experiences this Lent and always. Amen.